discipleship. And Pastor Peter opened it up last week. Uh, and if you did not hear last week's message, I encourage you to go on Spotify or wherever you may listen uh, to podcasts and listen to it because he laid a great foundation for us. And today is sort of a jumping off point from that. And so I'm not able to go over everything he talked about. Um, I encourage you to go listen to it. But just quickly, two things I want to say kind of in review of last week so that uh, if you weren't here uh, you have this point to jump off of. But we're talking about discipleship. And so we looked at the Greek word uh, disciple and what it means. It means to be a learner, to learn the ways of a person or a belief system, you know, that you have to learn, but also that, it, that you have to start acting and putting into practice. So what you learn is changing your behavior. And so that's kind of the definition of what a disciple is. And so for Christianity, Scriptures tell us, and the life of Jesus tells us that every Christian is called, one, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ, to learn his ways, learn his character, and also to take on his disciplines. But also, Jesus calls us to make disciples, to go out and, and share the gospel with people, and have other people learn about Christ, and put on his disciplines in the way um, of Christianity, so right there, I want to take a moment right now just to already go ahead and stop. And I want to acknowledge that the word disciple, when you hear that word, as Americans in this point in time in our society, that word can have a negative connotation. And so for some of you, you may think of like cults that have happened over the years. You know, so it may, the word disciple may conjure up images of like compounds and dressing in the same clothes and drinking Kool-Aid. So maybe you have a, maybe it like makes you think of something like that because there's been a lot of um, horrible things that have happened th um, in culture uh, throughout history, you know, around other religions and other ideas. Or maybe you're like, well, I don't think of those images, but the word disciple, you know, it does kind of give this impression that you don't think for yourself. And that idea to us, as in Western society, in America, that, that's irritating to a lot of us. This idea that I'm not thinking for myself uh, is problematic. And so if the idea of being a disciple of Jesus or, you know, that Christianity is about discipleship if that's problematic for you, then, then that's, it's difficult. This faith will be difficult for you. Um, so for those of you that might be in that spot already, you're already like, oh, I hate it. I hate that word disciple. I hate this idea that I'm a follower of something else. I want to give you this to think about today. And you can take home and, and think about it and talk through it and pray about it. And it's this idea that you are being discipled by something. And I don't mean that as like a zinger, like, gotcha. I just... I simply mean everyone is being discipled by ideas and ideologies and culture. Everyone is a follower of something. So even if you pride yourself in being the most individual, out-of-the-box thinker, you know, self-made, uh, self-built uh, person, even still, you're getting uh, thoughts and ideas that are borrowed from other people, culture, education, what, anywhere. Uh, so maybe that's just something for you to consider today. Uh, so if you're here and you're not a Christian, or maybe you are, but you're just kind of reacting, having a reaction to this idea of discipleship, please know, and then please consider, okay, if it's not the disciplines of Jesus I'm learning about and copying, 
what ethos am I following? What belief system, what ideology? Because we all are being influenced. It could be maybe news. News is what is main, you're mainly taking in and you, you, you have your worldview based on news and what's happening in the political world. Maybe it's influencers, whether it's celebrities or titans of industry or educators that you're really like, man, I love this way of thinking and I've been very influenced by this. TV, your family, your work culture, we're all uh, being influenced and getting ideas and we're all become followers of something. So you just need to know which am I admitting to being a disciple of? And so as Christians, we choose to follow the way of Jesus, the way of the Christian faith. And so that means we follow the example that Jesus set for us. We learn of his ways. And then we also try to take on those disciplines and see our lives transformed like that. Um, So we're going to continue on in the study of discipleship. And so today we're looking at how living a transparent life is a humongous part of what we're calling discipleship, of what we believe discipleship to be. So much of our faith is lived out next to each other, with each other. The the scriptures are numerous on all these um, commands that are like encourage each other, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, rebuke, strengthen. All that is done in relationship. And so we're going to talk about how transparency is absolutely necessary for discipleship. So today we're really just going to be looking at three verses, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, I'm going to read them all together and then we'll go through them one by one. But just know, I am going to spend most of the time on verse 17. So for those of you here that have personalities that are keep an eye on the schedule, don't fret when we have really talked mainly about 17. We will uh, do the last two verses at the end. So I'm going to read them together, and then we're going to read through them one by one. Philippians 3, 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, for many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. So let's take some time and talk through and think through verse 17. This idea is all throughout the New Testament. This idea that Paul is saying that he's like, imitate me, copy me like I copy Christ. And it's not just saying, like, it's not like Paul's an egomaniac, and he's like, I'm trying to create little Pauls, I want you all to be like me. But it's this idea, because he says in here, and also other people who walk the way of this faith. It's this idea that we need to know what practical steps look like to live out this faith. Because it's one thing to have knowledge. I can have all the scriptures memorized. You're like, okay, we are to be, you know, transforming to the likeness of Christ. Okay, what does that mean today when I'm in class? What does that mean today in my marriage? So you can have knowledge, but this faith is about walking it out with each other, being able to look over here and be like, oh, wow, I see that. I see how he practically is speaking you know, to his family and leading his family, or I see how she... We need examples. And so I think of it like um, you may graduate college with a bachelor's or even a master's degree. So you've gone to school for four to six years, and you have all this knowledge about your field, But when you get hired at a job, when you get your first job, chances are 
you will be shadowing someone for that position. So even though I have all this knowledge, this is all I've studied the last six years of my life, I know it all, there is still an element of, hey, shadow this person in this position so you can see practically how this works in the field. You can see you know, how we do it here at this company. And so this is a theme. I just, I'm going to flash up some other scriptures uh, just to show that this is a theme throughout the New Testament. It's not just this one place. So I'm just going to read them quickly. We see 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6, do not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Hebrews 13, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. So we see that, and there's more than that, that we see this as a constant theme, that a large part of discipleship, a large part of this faith, is living in transparency with one another. And so discipleship requires transparency. And there are Christians who want to be hidden in life, even in church. But as Christians, we're called to be known by others, like known so well that we could say, just, just watch her, just watch him. Watch the practical things they do to live out their faith. I know, introverts, you're internally screaming right now. <laughs> Hang with me here. I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert to be a Christian. I don't mean you have to have parties at your house every weekend and you have to move someone in every room of your house. But being a disciple means having believers close enough to you that you can imitate them, the, way they, the practical steps they're taking, and, the, and in turn, people can imitate you and learn from you. And so whatever your personality, whatever your leaning is, it's okay, but just know that Christianity, discipleship, calls us to transparency. And I want to be clear about something here. This is not just like I'm just showing off all the good parts of my life, you know, when I got the job, when I got the girl, when I had... That, that's not transparency. It doesn't take vulnerability. It doesn't take humility to show everything that's going right. Paul, throughout all his writings, if you look earlier in this chapter, before he says, imitate me, he deliberately confesses his weaknesses, his struggles. And so when we're talking about transparency... It's not us all just peacocking with one another and like putting our best foot forward. It's that you are open about your sin. You are open about your struggles. You're open about the proclivities in your life that draw you towards things of the, of the flesh instead of walking in the spirit. That's what transparency is. Amen. It's that we're learning from each other. We're holding each other accountable for the things we know that we need help in changing and having, being transformed. I'm going to say a statement here, and let me explain, let me clarify, which drives some people nuts, but it's just who I am. Okay, so let me clarify. Right after I say it. <laughs> a church is not healthy when we all look to the preacher as the only example. Now, give me a second. Give me a second. I'm certainly not saying that the preacher, the pastors, the small group leaders, people in authority should not be good examples. We're called to live above reproach. Like there is a, a standard that, that pastors and leaders should be living as by. Uh, and church structure is important. I'm not saying get rid of all authority and just what. But 
what I'm saying is, if everyone in the church, if the church consists of looking just only to the preachers, the pastors, to be the example, the church is not healthy. Why? Because we are all the church. The body makes up the church. It's not the pastor alone. And Sundays are wonderful. I am grateful for Sundays. I am grateful that we get to gather together in a country and talk about our faith, that we have the freedom to do that. This is so important. Okay, so I'm not downplaying this. But change happens during the week. When you are practically taking steps at work, at school, in your marriage, wherever you are. That, so Sundays we come, we hear from God, he speaks to us, we get encouragement, we worship him. You know, change supernaturally happens here. Maybe we get convicted or we, we know God is speaking to us, asking us to change something. Or, this is important, but the actual change that we walk out happens during the week, and it happens with the people, the believers that you are living in transparency with. The people that you're walking next to, and you're like, man, I know, okay, God just spoke to me about this issue, and already on Tuesday, <laughs> I'm tempted to go back to that thing, to depend on that other thing. And it's transparency with the believers around you uh, that help you walk that out. And so that's why at this church, if, you, if you're new here, maybe you've come uh, for several weeks, and you're like, who is the, who is, there's a different speaker every time, and it takes six weeks of coming consistently before you've seen every speaker we have on rotation. There's a very specific reason why we do that, it's because we do not want to send the unintentional message, there is one person here that you're learning from, and one person here that everyone in the church is coming because, oh, they speak the best, or they're, you know, this one's style. This is the church. We are the church, and so um, we are to help each other grow and hold each other accountable because of each other in the room. We try to be very intentional about that. There's not like one celebrity here that everyone thinks they're learning from. So do you know other believers who model Christ for you? And not just know, like, yes, I can list names, but are they in your life regularly? And do others really know you? with openness and vulnerability, know the struggles. Because here is the challenge about discipleship. There's something that makes this topic difficult to speak on, and it's because you can do all the right things. Like we can, you know, when, when talking about this subject, it's like, well, what, you know, what do you think it is to be a disciple of Christ? And it's like, well, you know, obviously accept Christ, all that stuff, but, you know, you should, okay, you should read your Bible. Yes, okay, reading your Bible is good. You should probably pray. Coming on a Sunday, that's good. You should come on a Sunday. Maybe get a small group, serve on a team. Like oh, tithing, tithing is important probably to be a true disciple. We can have a whole list of things that we could say like, yes, that's a part of discipleship and that's a part of discipleship. But listen, you could check all those boxes. You can be coming on a Sunday. You can be involved in a small group or on a team. And you can still not be actually open and transparent in the way that is required to see real change in your life. It doesn't take coming to church long before you know the right answers for stuff. I just, yes, I just need more Jesus. Let's just, just pray for me. I really need to, yeah. We learn quickly the right things to say. I just, I need prayer in this area. But are we actually, oh, that's what's so difficult about this because we can just give you a bunch of stuff. It's like, do these things. You can check those boxes, but your heart, your life is not actually open and transparent and vulnerable to where real gospel change can happen with the people around you. 
Let me give you a visual of this, um, of what discipleship can be like, why it can be difficult. There was, uh, I'm assuming in most family cultures, when it's the holiday time, you have certain dishes that represent your family. So there might not be anything special about Uncle Steve's mac and cheese, but Uncle Steve has brought mac and cheese, you know, for 10 years, and so now it's Uncle Steve's mac and cheese. And so I'm assuming that that's, you know, how most families operate. And so when my, there was several things my grandmother would make all through, you know, my parents, my mom's childhood, and then even through my childhood. And so when she passed, it's like, okay, there's the discussion. Who's going to take on the things that Mima would make? Because we still want those things. It's a way to remember her. So we were like divvying it out. And mainly it was my mom and my aunt who basically just took on all, making her stuff too. So we have a rum cake, we have sweet cream corn, just different things that have been staples. So three years ago, my aunt passed uh, suddenly from complications of cancer. And so we were back to the point of like, okay, it was my mom and my aunt who brought most of the staple things. So we're back to the divvying out phase where, you know, my sisters, my cousins were all like, uh, you know, who's going to take what? Because not only did my aunt make my grandma stuff, but she had her own things that we were used to eating, her avocado salsa, just different things that represent her. And so her daughters were like, we'll take the rum cake, we'll do that. They're like, Aslan, you, you just keep bringing the drinks. You, you do you, girl. You do. And I'm like, come on, one of these days. They're like, nobody picks out sparkling water like you. Just you, you keep doing that. And then all my other sisters and sister-in-laws are like, crap, we got to make up all this food. And so my sister Crystal, this first year, was like, I'm going to do the sweet cream corn. And my family's laughing now because they know the story that's coming. So she's like, I'll do the sweet cream corn. Okay. So, and this is only, you know, keep in mind, like a month after my aunt passed. She passed in October. And so, you know, Thanksgiving was here and we're all scrambling. They're all scrambling to make the (laughs) delicious food. I'm buying my drinks and ice. And so uh, the day comes. We're all there. We're all eating. And then it was kind of like, one other thing to say about this story before we continue, our family's very large when the extended family's together. So it's like 40 people. So there's not one table that we're all sitting around, like the picturesque, what you should do at holidays, that we can't fit. And so it's just like, it's literally a madhouse. There's tables in several rooms, there's tables outside, and you just, you sit where you can because there's too many people. So that being said, information is not instant. And so... We begin eating. The food is here. It's beautiful. It looks amazing. We start making plates, and kind of people come through in waves of grazing. And so we start to see throughout the room, we start to hear murmuring and comments of like, oh, my gosh. You know, people spitting stuff out on their plate, and we're like, what's going on? What's going on? It's the sweet cream corn. It's the sweet. We're like, what's wrong with the cream corn? And so my sister's like, what? What? It's bad. It's bad. So she tastes it. She spits it out. She's like, oh, it's horrible. And you know, she's like, what happened? I don't know what happened. And so then the women do what women do. There's something we're really good at. And we begin our linguistic journey. <laughs> we gather around and we go on a, a journey of words until we get to the point where we didn't really even want the corn anymore, because that's what women do to make us feel better. Is that so difficult? Like, it's a beautiful thing to go on this journey. So we begin this journey with my sister, and we're like, well, she's like, I should have tasted it. I should have tried it. I didn't even think to try it. We're like, where'd you get this corn from? She's like, it's Publix corn. You don't have to try Publix corn. That's the reason you're paying these prices. If it was Aldi corn, you should have tried the Aldi corn. But Publix... 
you paid the price for that public. You shouldn't have sort of just trying, you know, we're going on our journey. No, you shouldn't have tasted it. How would you have known? This is public's corn. And then my cousin's like, you know, I didn't even want the corn. I'm too sad. I'm too sad to eat the corn. If the corn had been perfect, then it's like she's not even missed. And so we have done our journey of words as my mom is going around scooping the corn off plates, like, don't eat the corn. <laughs> Don't eat the corn because, you know, still every two minutes there's someone else going, this corn's awful. You know, it's still like exploding throughout the whole property. So my mom's scooping up the corn, scraping it off. Don't bring up the corn. So we've gotten to a place. We've settled. We've gone on our journey. We're feeling good. We didn't want the corn. The corn's making people feel sad. It was good. The corn was bad. You did a good thing. You did a good thing. We've settled down. David, my husband, in true David form, comes in. This 30 minutes have passed since Corngate 2019. He walks inside. You know, he was outside. He was doing the Lord's work. He's sitting with the kids outside. The kids, we put the kids outside at the kids' table. And it's like Lord of the Flies out there. So there's got to be someone, some adult to represent. And so he's been doing God's work. And he comes inside. 30 minutes have passed. We're all settled down. David's like, everybody, everybody, I think there's something off with this corn. <laughs> the women all still in the kitchen were like, he's bringing up the corn. We're like, David, get out. The corn, we're done with the corn. The corn is over. We have exercised the corn demon out of this house. Do not bring it up again. It's making our cousins sad. The cousins are sad. Don't mention the corn. <laughs> David's like, what? I just wanted you to know. <laughs> Going back outside now. The corn can represent discipleship because here's what happened. The corn passed every accountability check. The farmer sent that corn to Publix or whoever harvested it. He's like, this corn looks good. The public stockers stocked the shelves with this corn. They're like, this corn looks good. My sister picked up the corn. This corn looks good. When she's grating the corn to make the cream corn, the smell was good. It ended up on the table with the feast. It looks so good next to the sweet potato pie. The ham, it looks amazing. It looked good. But the corn was bad. It was very bad. And this is what is so challenging about discipleship because you can do the things you can go to group. You can come on a Sunday. But if you are not opening up your life, being transparent about your weakness, about your sin, about where you need support, then just doing the things is not going to produce something good in you. How well do I imitate others? The evidence of discipleship is in the depths of my relationships with other believers. Because they are seeing how I'm living, how I'm speaking to my spouse, how I act at parties, how I act at work, how I treat people. If I'm honest about my faith, they are seeing that day in, day out. Let's finish with these last two verses. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And it's easy here to assume, like, okay, now he's talking about unbelievers. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's writing to the church. He's talking about the church. He's saying many in the church are walking as enemies of the cross, are not walking out this faith. Why are they enemies? 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. This doesn't mean they just ate a bunch of food. It means the belly represents their appetite, the, the desires for things of this flesh. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These are Christians that have no self-control, that pursue whatever pleased them, and we, are all, we all can fall into this. They covet and consume, always want more. There's no external standards you're trying to conform to, like the standards of Christianity, the, the way of this life as a Christian. And Paul talks about these people often in his letters. He said these are Christians, these are people that make the, the grace of God seem cheap because you're not actually changing how you're living. You're saying you're a believer, but I'm still living how I want to live, the things of this flesh, things of this life, the appetites I want, and you just say, oh, sorry, God will forgive me, God will forgive me, because God's grace covers everything, because he died on the cross, and it's true, his grace does cover repented sin, but holiness matters. Repentance means that I actually turn around and I walk the other way. And so for believers, for those of us that just kind of still live the way we want to live, but we say, no, but I believe in God, I believe in God, and his grace covers me, but I'm not actually changing my life, not actually conforming to the way of Christ, Paul is saying that is don't copy those believers. The end is destruction for those, those people. And so discipleship requires this transparency because any of us are capable of falling into this. I fall into it. Things I'm doing, attitudes I have, thought processes that I need people to be like, you know what? Where is this, where did you get this line of thinking? What's that rooted in? I need people in my life that are able to see things in me and encourage me in the way of, of faith. What makes living this way, besides the fact that it takes a lot of humility, what makes this difficult is that the church is messy. And I don't just mean this church, I mean the big, big C church relationships are messy. And so it's very easy to get hurt in the church. It's easy to get hurt in relationships. I've been hurt by the church. I've hurt others. And I haven't meant to, but I have. And so it makes this way of living very challenging because there's something in us that's just like, it is not worth the mess. The effort of this is not worth it. And... Um, you know, we can look at the things that have happened in church history that have been shameful and wrong, and it's very easy for us to just be like, I don't want to say I'm a part of that. You know, this culture where we can just be like, oh, I'm cutting and running. I'm... But discipleship says, love the church anyway. Yes. Love the church anyway. Jesus established the church. He knew it was going to be messy. The scriptures describe the church as a prostitute. If that's offensive to your propriety, that's what's what Scripture describes it as. Because we forget our first love. We go back to the things that we feel will benefit us more. But Christ died for it anyway. And so we can't just like wash our hands of it and say, like, it's too messy to be in relationships. It's too, it's too difficult. The church is just too much, too much drama there, too much difficulty. Discipleship says we have to stay in it. Proverbs 14.4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. The barn is clean. But for an abundant harvest, it takes the strength of an ox. What that means is, if it's not a working farm, if you're not actually growing any food, <laughs> produce anything, the barn can look great. It's clean. I can put that 
Instagram, take pictures, put it up, look at my clean barn. But if you are actually growing food, if you're producing a harvest, a working barn is messy. If you're a football player, and at the start of the game, your goal for that game is to keep your jersey clean, how good of a football player will you be? To do the work is messy, and you have to be okay with that mess. And so to us today, to this church, I just encourage us. We are called to enter the chaos and the mess of relationships. And through that process of being hurt and offended, and then we forgive, and we talk it through, and we encourage and rebuke, and then I'm offended again, and then I forgive again, and then I talk it through again, and I encourage again, that process year after year with the body of believers is how we are sanctified with the work of the Holy Spirit, with Christ being alive in our hearts. That process is how we grow and change, but it takes people to do that takes being in real relationship with people. Discipleship means being transparent with the broken and messy believers around me. So we can't just give up on the church. We just can't give up on the concept of things like small groups or accountability. We can't just let that go. It's my responsibility to make sure I'm living a life that's transparent with people around me so I can continue in this thing of discipleship. Let's go ahead and stand before we pray, if you will join me. I'm going to end with a quote from a movie. And this is my daughter's favorite, uh, one of their favorite lines from a movie. It's from the Disney movie Lilo and Stitch. And so, oh, we got some fans. Okay. Okay. I'm going to just quickly, if you've never seen that movie... I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what, uh, what happens here. There are two girls. Their parents die. And so the oldest, the adult sister now is responsible for her little sister. And so she's trying to get a job. And uh, uh, the state is there basically saying, we're going to take your, uh, your sister and put her in foster care. You know, lighthearted themes for Disney movies, <laughs> like they always do. And so this is about these two sisters kind of struggling to, to make their way in life. And then uh, simultaneously, there's like this scientist alien race that creates this little monster that's supposed to wreak havoc on society. And that's Stitch. And so they create this monster, and he escapes, and he lands on Earth. And they're like, oh, gosh, Earth is going to be destroyed. But uh, Lilo finds Stitch, and she adopts him. And so these two mischievous, this little monster and this little seven-year-old, they kind of teach each other about love and family. And so they both kind of grow and change through this relationship. Well, the intergalactic, you know, aliens that created him finally find where Stitch is. And they come and they capture him. And they have him tied up at the very end of the movie. And they're like, we've got to get this monster out of here. And so before he leaves, he's, he says, can I say something? And he says, he points to the sisters. And he says, this is my family. It's little and broken, but it's still good. Yes, it's still good. And my daughters quote this line to each other, and this line makes them cry every time they watch it because our children have all come to us through adoption. So brokenness was the start of each of their life. And it means something to them to be able to say, our family exists because of brokenness, but it can still be good. And so it's a line they say to each other. This is our family. It's broken, but it's still good. And so I say that to the church too. 
It's broken. We're messy. We've gotten a lot of things wrong, and we should advocate for change when we've, when we've done wrong things. But it is still good. It is still the way God has designed for us to make a difference on this earth before he comes back. And so don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the large church. Be a part, but you have to make a choice to be transparent in whatever community you choose. If for those of you online, if you're, wherever you are, be planted and be open about what's really going on in your life and give people permission to be honest with you and be committed to forgiving each other when you annoy each other and you upset each other and you say the wrong thing because you will say the wrong thing and people will say the wrong thing to you because we don't know. We don't know everything. We're stumbling forward together, but we're putting pressing forward, putting everything else behind us to press on towards the race that God has called us. Jesus, I thank you for this community of believers. We may be broken, but you have said that it's good. It's good because you died for it and you have redeemed it and you have offered us your holiness and to walk in the way of redemption and righteousness. You offer that to us for free, not because we deserve it, because of how good you are. And so we take that righteousness you offer us, God. We accept what you did on the cross for us, and we ask, Lord, that you would help us to be Christians who live transparent lives with other believers. Lord, that we wouldn't just try to look good for other people, try to show the best parts. That's not worth anything. God, help us be humble people who walk in humility because we don't have to look good, because that's not how we earn salvation. Help us, God. Help us see that when we're humble, when we share where we are weak, it shows that you are strong, that you still use a broken person like me. You still use me, even though I have many things in my past I regret. You still, you use me, you accept me because of your goodness, 